If you've been with us the last few weeks, you know that we have covered the book of James. Uh, I think we spent about eight, nine, ten weeks there in the book of James. Um, And so if you were sick of that and tired of that, I have good news for you. Um, It's over. Uh, Bad news, we start the Psalms and there's 150 of them. (laughs) No, I will be preaching the next three weeks and I will be using the Psalms as my guideline of some things that we can learn and to grow with. And we'll cover just three of the Psalms. So today we are going to be in Psalm 13, next week Psalm 51, and the following week Psalm 119, and I promise not to cover the length of that one either, if any of you know Psalm 119. The book of Psalms is one of those books that, you know, sometimes when you read the genealogies and the history, you can be like, yeah, I could do without that portion of scripture, um, or that's boring, or you read Leviticus and some people... um, can't wait till they get through the end of that, or you can read Ecclesiastes and think that it's depressing and all of that, but the book of Psalms is different. No one usually reads the book of Psalms and goes, oh, I don't like um, what's in the book of Psalms, because it has a little bit of everything. It's poems, songs, some of them written by David, a majority of them written by David, some by the sons of Korah and worship leaders and song leaders and others we're not sure of, but it covers a wider range of human emotion, um, of God's goodness, celebrating his faithfulness, a lot of rejoicing. And it's one of the most quoted books. We all can quote some psalms, right? Blessed is he who does not sit in the seat of sinners, but rejoices in the law of the Lord, for he shall be planted by the streams of living water. Psalm 1, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leadeth me beside still waters. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Psalm 23. As the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longeth after you. Psalm 42. There's one we'll look at next week, you know. Lord, against you and you only have I sinned. Blot out my transgressions and I will be as white as snow. Renew unto me the joy of your salvation. Psalm 51. For I am fearfully and wonderfully made and yet my soul knows it very well. Psalm 139. And so the Psalms are something that we all love and that we quote and that we can find joy in. Um, I think the only time that I did not like the book of Psalms was when my professor made me read all 1 through 150, um, and you couldn't finish until you were done. And a slow reader like me, that took me a good bit of time. But the truth is, is that not all of the Psalms are filled with joy and happiness and rejoicing and are praising the Lord. Some of them are songs of lament. In fact, 42 of the psalms, almost one-third of the psalms that are written are songs of lament, songs of sadness, of sorrow, of questioning God, of wondering where God is. How long will the enemy succeed? How long will I have to suffer through this? Where are you, God? I don't hear your voice. I don't see your works. What are you doing? And so the psalms cover a wide range of human emotion. They hear our frustrations, our doubts, our burdens, but they also celebrate with us. And they share our praises and God's goodness and his character and his nature. One person that I read this week said this, that the Psalms read us almost as much as we read them. Meaning that's what's in there. Have you ever had those moments where you're, you know, you're feeling frustrated and you just don't have words for the things that are going on and you're you're in pain or agony or fear or worry and then you read a Psalm and it's like, yes, that is what I was trying to express. That's what's going on in my head. Those are the things that I'm wrestling with, and it puts words to the things that are internally going on inside of me. And so that's what the Psalms are. They capture some of that raw human emotion, some of our true feelings, some of the things that we just don't verbally can't get out, 
We find it expressed in the Psalms. And so one of the truths that I want to walk on and touch on gingerly here is this, is that we are a people of a wide range of emotions. We have our sorrows, we have our moments of fear, we have our moments of doubt and worry, um, but we also have our celebrations, our times of joy, of happiness. Um, And the truth is, is that we are made in the image of God. Can we all agree on that? We're all made in the image of God. And now we're not the true expression of the image of God. We know that is only found in Christ. But what is found in us is a picture of what it's like to know God. So what can be found in me? So the emotions that I experience and the things that I feel can also be found in the nature and the character of God. For proof, the verse that everyone knows, John eleven thirty five, 35, Jesus wept. We know that Jesus mourned the death and the loss of his friend Lazarus and that Jesus was moved with sorrow and that so that even in the Lord there was sadness and sorrow and grief. And so it's expected that in humans that when we lose someone or we have moments of things that are lost or something's taken from us that we mourn and we are sorry. We know that Jesus took the whip into the temple when the money changers were there and that Jesus expressed a righteous anger right, that he was justified and that he was completely right and he was frustrated by what the people were doing. And so therefore, we experience anger at the injustices or the things. Now, we're different than the Lord. We can very easily sin in our emotions and our feelings, right? Be a parent for not that long and you know the problem of uh, sinning in your anger. We can tend to wallow in our sorrows and live there and build monuments there and tend to stay camped out in those things. But the truth is that the things that are found in us can also be found in the Lord. And so what we need to do is learn how to properly channel and to properly guide and steer our emotions and our feelings. Because you've probably all heard the saying, you can't trust your feelings and you can't trust your emotions because sometimes they lead you astray. That is the truth. Um, How many times can it feel like maybe God has failed you or God has left you or things aren't going as good as they seem and you know that God cannot fail and he's never going to fail you, but it sure feels like that sometimes. And so this morning I want to talk about um, what to do with those emotions and how we can pay attention to them and how we can let them guide us and lead us to the truth. And so our example um, today is going to come from Psalm 13 and it is a lament. Um, Charles Spurgeon called it the from sighing to singing psalm. And it's just six verses, and so let me read it. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look at me and answer, O Lord, my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say, I have overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I will trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation, and I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. I love it because David wasn't doing that whole passive-aggressive thing that we do, you know, with our spouses when we're angry or upset about it and we pretend to be angry about something else and you kind of got to read between the lines of like, ooh, I wonder what's made them upset. Yeah, don't act like you've never done it, all right? <laughs> right? David ain't like that. There's no mixing or doubting or questioning. It's like, hmm, I wonder if David's happy, upset. I really can't tell. I wonder if something's going on, all right? You know exactly what David's feeling and thinking, okay? He's frustrated. How long? How long, God, are you going to let this happen? How long are you going to hide your face from me? 
God, if you don't do something, my enemies are going to succeed, and they're going to triumph, and they're going to think that they're better than you. How long, God? Why don't you do something? And if we're honest, come on, how many of us have our own list of how long prayers? How long, God? How long am I going to wrestle with this sickness or this illness? Or how long is my family going to go through this? How long am I going to have strife and broken relationships in my marriage with my children at home? How long is my child going to wrestle with a behavioral issue? How long am I going to wrestle with this sin? How long am I going to just continue to find hardship and difficulty and challenge? When is it going to let up? When is it going to level off? When am I going to get a break? God, how long? How long are the Phillies going to continue to be terrible? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But for real, come on. Those are the things that go through our mind, right? Your how longs are completely different than probably my how longs, but we all have them. One person said that if you're a Christian for very long, that you're always going to come to this prayer, but I don't think you had to be a Christian to have this type of problem, that sometimes the weight and the pressure and the stress and the things of this world can be overbearing and they can overcome us, and we cry out, how long, God? I can't do this anymore. But what I love is that David feels this freedom, right, that he's addressing this psalm to the Lord, and he's taking it to the Lord, and he's bringing it before the Lord, and he's not hiding anything. He's wearing his emotions on his sleeve, and he says, here's the things that I'm dealing with. Here's the things that I'm going, with, going through, and Lord, I'm going to bring them to you. And so the first point that I want us to learn is this, is that God isn't afraid of your doubts, your questions, your fears, your worries, your insecurities, or the things that you're wrestling with, and he's not afraid of how you think or how you feel, and the challenge would be just to bring those things before the Lord. That's what David did, right? David said, this is the things that I'm going through, God. This is what I'm wrestling with, and here it is. He's letting him know how he feels. And David's not alone. We know that Elijah, as Jim shared last week, as Jezebel come to take his life, that Elijah sat down under a tree and said, Lord, take my life. I'm ready for it to be over. For Pete's sake, Jeremiah wrote a whole book of Lamentations where he was frustrated with the dealings of the people of Israel and their sins and their wickedness. And how, God, how long are you going to let this go on? How long are you going to keep these people in their sin? Why won't they open their eyes? What is going on? We know that Jonah sat out in the desert and said, come on, God, what are you doing? You're saving the Ninevites? Really? That he had his moments of complaint of wondering and questioning. And so God's not afraid of those things. And the first challenge is this, is that we can't be afraid to bring those and to lift those up before the Lord. But the truth is, what we often do looks a lot like this. As you know, you know, got some family problems, some family issues. Jobs just not going the way that I want it to. I want a new job. I want out. And I continue to work with people that I'm frustrated by and all of that. You know, my spiritual life, you know, just it's been a struggle, it's been a wrestle. I have some some doubts and questions that I just don't have answered. And so we just pack it all up. And then find the other one. Where are we at? There we are. And we just strap it on and we walk around 
with this weight and this problem. And as John shared this morning, we all got a race to run and everyone else is up ahead of us and you know, it's like, I'll catch up, I'll get on. And then the weight of the world just is wearing on us and it's wearing us down and it's beating us up. And we have all these thoughts and all of these cares. And it's just like, you know what? It's too much, God. I can't handle this. You know, there's too much pressure, too many demands. I just can't do it all until we finally just want to like sit down, give up and quit because we don't have the strength or the stamina or the energy to continue going on because we're carrying the weight of the world on our backs. But the truth is, you know what David does? He says, you know what? Here's what's going on, God. Here's the things going through my mind. Here's the things that I'm wrestling with. Here's my struggles. Here's my battles. And here they are, Lord. Here they are. Take them. Take them. And so that's what I want to encourage you guys with this morning is that the things that you're wrestling with and the things that you're dealing with and the things that are going on in your minds and the thoughts Bring them before the Lord. You can give them to him. God's not sitting up there, and he wasn't sitting up there when David wrote this psalm and going, huh, Jesus, that's surprising. Did you know David was feeling like that? <laughs> wow, didn't expect that reaction. Come on. You serve an all-knowing, all-everywhere God, an omniscient and omnipresent God that knows exactly what you're going through and knows exactly what you're dealing with. And so you ain't gonna surprise him when you bring those things before the Lord. How many verses say to cast your cares upon the Lord? By prayer and supplication, make your request known to God. Look at the front of your bulletin. Pray without ceasing. For those of you that are heavy laden and weak, come to me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You have a God that is able, that is strong enough, and that can handle the things that you are going through and the things that you are wrestling with, and that is able to take them and carry them. So bring them before the Lord. That's the beauty of the Psalms. There's 42 of these laments all throughout the Psalms. Read them, and they'll capture some of the very things that you're thinking. And what does David do? He says, Lord, here they are. I'm bringing them to you. I need you to do something about them. Verse 2 says, How long... Must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? So what's David saying here is that without the Lord and without hearing the Lord's voice and not having the Lord present, that he's been wrestling with these things and dealing with these things in isolation, and he's all alone with his thoughts. He's left to his own plans, his own strategies, whatever he can think of to get himself out of the situation he says, how long, God, must I wrestle with my thoughts? And here's the, the fruit of wrestling with his thoughts. And every day have sorrow in my heart. How many of you guys know that one of the greatest dangers and one of the greatest, scariest things that you guys can do is to wrestle alone in your own thoughts? Is to be alone in your own thoughts. You never share them with anyone else. You never seek advice or counseling from anyone. And you just deal with all of the issues and all of the pressures of, you know, your job being a spouse, being a parent, being a Christian, and the difficulties and the hardships, and you're just isolated and you're all alone. And you start to feel exactly like David felt every day having sorrow in your heart because you think that you're your own savior. You're left with the solutions, the answers, and that you have to come up with it. And how often does that lead to fear and anxiety and to worry because it's like, Lord, this problem is bigger than me. What do I do about it? I can't handle it. It's outside of my control. I just don't know what to do, God. And we just wrestle alone. How many of you guys have, um, 
you've been there. You've got problems and you've got issues and they're bigger than you. And you can't solve them. You can't fix them. You can't do anything about them. But yet you're riddled with fear and anxiety because you think that the weight of the world and it all resolves around you to do something to fix it and to make it happen. And you just can't. And how many of you guys know that that pressure very quickly just crumbles you? And not only in a physical sense, but then in a spiritual sense that you walk around thinking, well, I must be a weak Christian and I must not have enough faith and God must be disappointed with me because he's not doing anything about this and, you know, I just must be alone in this because I come to church and no one else seems to be talking about it. No one else is going through it and everyone else is smiling so they must not have the same worries, fears, and insecurities and the things that I have. And so we put on a smile and we fake it through and we sit in the pews just trying to make it through but inside we're crying out, oh God, how long? How long? When are you going to do something about this, God? And so David says, how long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? And if you'll allow me to share a testimony, this was my story a little bit after, gradu- after graduating high school and entering Bible college. I was saved about two years. And so the first two years were filled with an awesome time and the Lord doing new things and teaching me. But as many of you guys know that have walked with the Lord, sometimes questions arise and obstacles come and things happen and you start to really question things and to doubt things. And so here I am in Bible college where we would have chapel four days a week and we'd have Bible class and everyone's praising and rejoicing and it seems like everyone's this solid Christian. And I had my questions and I had my doubts. I doubted God's love, if I'm being honest. I didn't understand God's sense of justice. I didn't know why he did the things that he did and why they worked in a certain way. But I felt like, man, I gotta keep them inside because no one else is going through these things and I'm in Bible college for Pete's sake. They're gonna kick me out, you know? But we feel like that sometimes. We feel like if the things that we're thinking about is like, well, no other Christian must be thinking about this and God must be disappointed. And then we wanna actually stop thinking about God and having God be any part of our lives because all it does is produce more stress and anxiety and worry and it continues to cast us farther and farther where we continue to feel smaller and smaller to where it's like that. So it's like it's better off not to just sometimes think about it or to dwell upon it because at least I'm not feeling that. But one day we're sitting in class. It was Old Testament survey. And I had a professor, um, and thank God for prophetic people. He says, Ryan, I was praying for you this morning. He says, I want you to know something. He says, if you continue to live by the words and the things that people say by you, you will very quickly die and be torn down by the very same words and the very same people. And it's pierced me because all I was was just afraid of what everyone else thought of me and what, what, what if I voice these things and what if I give thought to them? What are people going to think of me? And all of a sudden, I was like, all right, he knows. I got to talk to him. So I sat down with him and I just unloaded. I shared everything that I'd been wrestling with and all the doubts and all the questions um, and how that made me feel like a terrible question or a terrible person. And, uh, you know, Dr. John, he's kind of like Yoda. He never answers anything in a statement. It's always a question. And he says, um, says to me, Ryan, did you ever think that God has brought you here and God has allowed you to have these questions and these doubts and these things go on and he's allowed you to wrestle with them so that you might study them and dive deeper into them and that may, God may reveal those things even in a greater way, that you might learn more of his nature and his character and you might actually understand and comprehend his love and God just wants to reveal it more in your life. Well, no, Dr. John, I didn't think that, all right? <laughs> 
But I want to challenge you today that the things that you're wrestling with, the things that you're going through, um, and the questions and the doubts, God's not afraid of them and he's not scared. And they're probably just an opportunity and a chance to dive more into who he is and that he wants to reveal himself even more in your life. So if you're struggling with faith, God actually wants to increase your faith. I wrestled with God's love. I really did. I've told you guys before and maybe told the youth group that I hated the song, I Could Sing of Your Love Forever, because I didn't even feel like I could sing it because it felt like such a burden because I didn't have it in my heart, but I can sing it now because God allowed me to wrestle and to question that and to doubt it, and guess what? He proved himself through that. And so the questions and the things that you have, don't look at them as God's distance from you. Look at them as an opportunity to embrace him and to get to know him more and to dive into him, to study it, and to dive into his word and to turn to him among those things. So David goes on to say, look on me and answer, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. I love it because David's at the desperation point at this point, God. At least if you're not gonna do it for me, do it so that my enemies won't see you as weak and small. He's begging, basically. God, you see, if you allow me to be defeated and you allow me to go down, they're gonna think that my God is weak and small and their God is better than yours. And he's doing anything to try to get through to God. It's like trying to call the Comcast uh, business center and trying to reach a person. (laughs) Please press one for English, one. Please listen closely as our menu options have changed. Of course, none of those menu options are actually that simple because if it was that simple, I would have just solved it online, so I'm actually calling because I can't solve it this way. Speak to representative. Oh, you want to speak to a representative? Please state into the phone what you want. Just speak to a representative, right? That's all you want. It could have been solved and over and done with by now if I could have just got to someone. And that's where David's at with God. It's like, God, I just want to get to you. I just need you. You got to show up. I need you to do something about this situation. It's got to be over. And if we pay attention to what David's heart is seeking after and what he's running after, we're going to learn something here today. Because David's in a world of pain, and he's thinking that his enemies are succeeding. He's thinking that God has abandoned him, and he's feeling forgotten, and he's left to his own things. But here's the thing that I want us to learn and pay attention is that not all pain is bad pain. If I walk over here and this is a stove and I stick my hand on a burner that's already on, there's going to be a bunch of things that shoot to my brain that says, hey, get your hand off of that because that burns and that hurts, right? That's the type of pain that I want because it it prevents me from causing further damage to my hand and having more severe burns than having an infection and all of that. Or if I sprain my ankle playing basketball, I'm going to hobble and I'm going to limp and it's going to cause pain because it's saying, hey, you got to take pressure off of that. You can't, you know, you got to let that heal. You got to give that time to heal. That's why leprosy is so dangerous. As a 10-year-old, I got to admit, I thought leprosy was cool. I want to feel no pain, you know? And then you start to realize that you don't even feel the pain um, in your eyes and you stop blinking and it's actually detrimental to your health because you can't actually feel anything that's going on. So not all pain is bad pain. Now, there's some pain that is unnecessary, and there's some pain that's obviously there's fair, but not all pain is bad pain. Think about it. Think about Jonah who deserted God and said, you know what, I'm going my own way. I want to do my own thing. Yeah, you want me to go to Nineveh? I'm going to Joppa. And he ends up shipwrecked, and then the waves come, and they're crashing over, and the shipmates are like, you know what, we're not dying for Jonah, and they throw him overboard. And now he's swallowed by a giant fish, left alone to his thoughts and what is going on. And you know what Jonah says? He says, Lord... Um, he starts to realize that your waves and your things have crashed over me. 
And I will now turn my eyes back to your holy hill, meaning to the presence of God and to the Lord. And so Jonah realized that the pain and the things that he, were, he was going through were his own consequences and the result of his own sin. But that pain caused him to remember that, you know what, I didn't have this when my face was in the presence of the Lord. Or how about the prodigal son who left his father and took his inheritance and foolishly um, spent it. And then he's sleeping with the pigs, desiring to eat the food that they were eating. And then you know what he remembered? At my father's house, they don't eat like this. So he was, the prodigal son went from his pain and his hurt and the things that he was suffering through and this anguish and remembering it caused him to long and to return back home to his father. And so I want us to remember that the pain and the hurt in our lives, to allow it to guide us and to direct us back to the one, to the father's house, to the one that can make us whole. Because maybe we have lost someone. Maybe we do have strife with a family member. Maybe we do... Um, have illnesses and things that we're battling through. But all that really is is just a heart cry to be whole and to be made whole again. All it is is we hurt and we long and we have these desires and these breakdowns because the whole earth is groaning for the return of the Son of God, that the whole earth is suffering the consequences of sin. And so the, what our heart and what's our desire is that we want wholeness, right? We want to be made whole again. It's like I have a five-year-old and five-year-old has a propensity to like sugar. So he comes to you at 10 o'clock um, in the morning. Hey, Dad, can I have a pack of Swedish fish? <gasps> Being the good father that I am, I do not let him have a pack of Swedish fish at 10 o'clock in the morning. I said, hey, buddy, you know, my response is usually something like this. We'll see. We'll see how the day goes. We'll see how your behavior is. We'll see, you know, if at the end of the day that, you know, you deserve a pack of Swedish fish. Now, for a five-year-old, that is not the response that they want to hear. And so very quickly that turns into, oh God, I can never have Swedish fish. Why can't I have Swedish fish now? I'm hungry. I just want a snack. I just want, you know. And it's like within 30 seconds, you're already like, yeah, there goes your Swedish fish for the day, boy. <laughs> like you just lost it within five seconds of responding, all right? Clearly I can't reward that with Swedish fish. And then I'm frustrated. And then believe it or not, right, we're having a 30-minute fight about his behavior and attitude and all this resolving from Swedish fish. And I'm like, I just want to go throughout my day, you know? I just want to have a nice Saturday. And what's my heart longing for? I'm a sinful father and I have a sinful five-year-old and all we're doing is just longing for the day that Christ returns and that we are made whole again. The point being is that our frustrations and the things that we wrestle with are just because um, we live in a broken and fallen world that awaits the return of the Son of God and the living God. And so I want my heart to be exactly what David's heart is. If you pay attention, how long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Look on me and answer, O Lord my God. And you know what David's saying? The thing that I want and the thing that's gonna bring me peace and the thing that's gonna bring a light into the situation is to see your face and to hear your voice. And so in the midst of your troubles, in the midst of your afflictions, in the midst of the things that you are wrestling with, let that be your heart cry. God, I just need you to show up. I wanna hear you. I want you. And so from the things that I wrestle with, I want that to be my cry. Lord, that if you show up and if you speak, it's going to make this situation different. It's going to bring light to this situation. And so we go, um, like I said, Spurgeon called this the singing or the sighing to singing psalm. And how we would like this psalm to end is we would like to see that. Um, We'd like to see David be saved from his enemies and we'd like to see how God brought him out of it and how, you know, this, how God delivered and how God saved. But we don't quite get 
that picture because it goes quickly from verse four. My enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall to, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord for he has been good to me. And so David, you know what he doesn't get? He doesn't get an immediate relief of the things going on in his life. He doesn't get an immediate rescue where God just reaches down, pulls him out, and it's simple and boom, and thank you, God, for the marvelous works that you have done. David has to replay the very things that God has previously done in his life and saying, you know what, God, I will trust your unfailing love, and I will trust your salvation, and I will trust what you have done in my life before to be the same thing that carries me through now. And boy, what is, some testimonies does David have? When he was a little boy, it says that he was out shepherding and watching his sheep and that, you know, he had to fight off lions and bears and he saw God's hand there. We know that he walked down to defeat Goliath with just a stone and no armor and he saw God deliver the giant into his hands. He was anointed king and then he had to flee for three, four years while Saul tried to persecute him and end his life and he saw God's faithfulness in God's hand. He saw God save him and deliver him from the hand of Saul. And so David says, you know the thing that's going to carry me through this next battle, this next trial? I'm going to trust the God that delivered me before. And I'm going to trust his works of salvation. And so your thing is you got to look back to the things of where God has saved you and where God has delivered you and where he pulled you out of darkness and brought you into his marvelous light. Where were you when he found you? Because I bet you you were pretty close to here. How long, oh God? What's going on? I need something. And he took you and brought you into his light. And he showed you his salvation. He showed you his plan. I was a 17-year-old boy lost, bent on doing my own thing, my own way, and I had grown up in the church and I had ignored it and I didn't want anything to do with God because I thought God was an embarrassment. But guess what? He reached down and he pulled me out of that and he delivered me. And that's the God that I want to continue to trust and I'm going to continue to trust to lead me through the things going on right now. Because here's the truth. Colossians 1.20 says that Christ is working to reconcile and to redeem all things back unto himself. So not only am I brought back into relationship with God. It's he's working in all things. He's working to redeem your work. He's working to redeem your marriages. He's working to redeem your broken relationships. He's working in all things to draw them unto himself. That he's reconciling all things. And that stands 2,000 years ago of God's promise of salvation. And it'll stand 2,000, 4,000, 5,000 years from now of God's continued plan of salvation that he's able to deliver and he will deliver and that you can trust his salvation. David takes comfort in that. He doesn't see it right away, and who knows how long afterwards it came, but he was able to trust God's salvation. If you'll afford me a couple of testimonies, I've had these moments in my own life that I would like to share. Like I said, before I went to Bible college, I decided that I wasn't going to go to enroll in college to pursue business or anything like that. I felt like God specifically told me not to, and so I was obedient, and I listened. But God didn't do that thing where the immediate plan afterwards was unfolded for me. I didn't have the map of, well, you're going to be out of college, um, and you're not going to go for this reason, this reason, and this reason. So one day, um, I was working on my family farm. My mother was my boss, and I'm an 18-year-old boy that thinks he knows everything about everything, and um, my mother knew a whole lot more about farming and still does. Um, and so her being my boss and me thinking I know everything, we get into this fight. And so I walk up to the barn floor, and I'm angry. 
and I have one of those, I call them the God hissy fits. You ever have those where it's like, God, I'm letting you hear it. You're gonna hear exactly what's going on. It's like, really, you saved me? You pulled me out of college for this? I'm here working on my parents' family farm and I'm not actually even making any money. Everyone else is going off and pursuing other things and all I'm doing is working on a farm and coaching soccer. Like, really, this is what you saved me for. What's the plan here, God? What are you gonna do? Is this necessary? Like, maybe I, then I'm starting, you start to doubt. Maybe I didn't hear God. Maybe that wasn't him. Maybe I was wrong because nothing seems to be popping up. Nothing seems to be appearing. This must not be God. And, you know, you go through that whole rant and you get to the end. Um, and I didn't hear God. You know, he didn't lay out the map and say, you're going to this point, to this point, to this point, and here it is. Here's the plan, son. Follow along. I didn't get that. I left with just this, a piece in my heart that said, all right, God, it's yours, and it's in your hands, and you know what you're doing, so take it. It wasn't until three months later that my youth pastor left the church and I was asked to step in and I was given a heart and a desire to, um, to study God's word and then God showed me, hey, this is what I want you to do. You know? Another time, I think I shared this story that I was in Bible college and I had tapped out all of my money. Um, at the time, Elam wasn't, you couldn't get a federal loan so I had borrowed uh, some money from a person in my church just to go. And I was three semesters, or I was, had three semesters to go but I didn't have any more money. And so I sat over an entire winter break trying to come up with it, looking for jobs, because I was like, I'm going to drive back, get all of my stuff, um, and pack up and go home. And man, I was mad. I was like, God, you really let me come through three, two and a half years of Bible college, do all of this, and it's going to fizzle out now. I'm not going to finish. So I drive back up, starting to pack my stuff, starting to say my goodbye to friends, and I get a phone call from my grandmother. And they're watching Christian television. God bless it. Um, and you got to know my grandfather. My grandfather was not that type of person to say, like, I love you or I care about you or give you a hug or anything like that. He was just straight-laced and like, you know, pass me the potatoes type of guy, all right? And she says to me, she says, we were watching um, Christian television. And she said, in her Methodist way, it was like the electricity just went on through us. And your grandfather said to me, he says, you know, I've been driving school bus on the side in retirement. It's about $4,200 and turns out to be the exact amount that I needed to finish Bible college. And we feel like we're supposed to give it to you to finish school. See, the God that knew, right? I complained and I moaned and I groaned, but my God had a salvation plan and my God is a savior and he is a redeemer and he was able to deliver me. And so it's in these situations and the trials that I go through now that I remember his stories of the past to deliver me and to guide me into the future. And I want to share something. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you have never known what it's like to see his light. Maybe all that's around you is despair and brokenness and hurt and worry and fear and anxiety, and that's all that you have ever wrestled with, and you don't know what it's like to walk into the light. I want to say that today is your day of salvation, that you have a God of salvation that has a plan, a hope, a future that wants to make his love known to you, and he wants to draw you out of the darkness and bring you into the light. Because there's a whole lot more than just a world of brokenness and hurt and pain. There's a God that you'll, share, that you'll be able to sing of his goodness and you'll be able to share and trust his salvation going forward. And so if that's you today, put your faith and your trust in him. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and you will be saved. But we're prone to think, as David did, that in those moments that God forgets us, that, you know, he's failed us, that he must have clearly gotten his wire, wires mixed and I just must be the oddball out. 
But the truth is, is if God would have forgotten about David, David wouldn't have even been alive to write the psalm. That the very air that we breathe is because there's a God that is still living and that holds the world in his hands. <laughs> the food that we eat, the sun that causes it to grow, guess what? They're sustained by an all-knowing and an all-powerful God. And if, it, if you forgot about us, we wouldn't even be alive to complain. Read a quote from Spurgeon. It says, you are ready to perish with despondency and you think that God forgets you. That is how it looks to you, but it cannot be so. God cannot forget anything. It's impossible. Can a woman forget her nursing child? Mark that expression. The child that still draws its nourishment from her bosom, that is just what you are still doing. For albeit you think that God forgets you, but you are still living on what he daily gives you, and you would die if he did not give it to you of his grace and his strength. Can a woman forget her nursing child, that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yes, they may forget, yet I will not forget you. Lay hold of that great truth and dismiss that which can only be an appearance and an air. God has not forgotten to be gracious, nor has he forgotten you. That it's impossible in the nature and the character of God to fail. (laughs) If he could fail, then we all might as well go home because he's imperfect and broken. But meaning that he is perfect and he will not fail you and he cannot forget you and that he will never leave you or forsake you and so take trust in that today one of my favorite passages of scripture um, when things get bleak for me is to trust um, Ecclesiastes 3 there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven a time to be born and a time to die a time to plant and a time to uproot a time to kill and a time to heal a time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them up. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. And what I love about it and why it brings me comfort is because it doesn't matter whether you're in a season of mourning and tearing down and sorrow or whether you're in a state of happiness, of joy and building up and planting seeds is that the God that is sovereign over all of the earth is sovereign over all of those seasons. And so there's not a single season that you face or a single season that you go through that God isn't in control and that he doesn't sit over and rule and reign and that you can trust his hand and you can trust his plan and you can trust his way of salvation to lead you out of that. So I want to share one more um, verse and then we're going to close with um, a hymn today. One of the things that we often feel frustrated about in our Christian life is whether God responds or God answers or God hears our prayers. Um, And if you are questioning that, I challenge you to listen to Jim's sermon from last week on prayer. But the truth is, is that God will always um, answer your prayer might not be what you want, might not be the answer that you expect. It might not be in how you want him to deal with it, but he will answer. Luke eleven eleven. which of your fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? If he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, 
how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You have a good Father, and so when you ask him, he's gonna give you exactly what you need. So if you ask him and he says no, no still an answer, it's still a response. And so what he gives you is exactly what you need. Because if you needed something else, he'd have given you a different response. So if he says, wait and stay in this season, I want to do something for you, then you know that that's what's best for you. Or if he says, hey, you know what, it's time to move on and it's time to let go of that and all that, you can trust that that's the answer and that's the response of the Lord and that's what's best for you because he wouldn't give you something that's not what is best for you. So if you'll afford me one more moment of uh, honesty. Psalm 13 is close to my heart. Because for the last 15 months, that's been my prayer. How long, God? This isn't what I wanted. Don't you see how your people are hurting? Don't you see what it's done? How long, God? When are you going to show up? When's it going to stop? Lord, we need you. Don't you see if you don't do something and you don't show up and you don't bring revival or you don't bring a move of your spirit? Come on, God. What's going to happen? How long, God? but I will trust his unfailing love and I will trust his salvation and I will sing of his goodness because I know that he is a God of deliverance and a God of salvation. And so I want to encourage you to do the same. You might be praying how long and I can't give you the answer. I pray that it would end today, but I can't promise you that it will. I can't promise you that it won't end in five years, but I want you to continue to the trust of the God that, is deliver, that delivers and is able. Joseph waited 30 years till he saw God's plan and purpose unfold in his life. Some of the Israelites waited 40 years, but God delivered, and God was faithful to keep his promise. So trust him. Trust him. So we're going to sing a hymn that I learned um, for the first time, actually, only when I was 19 years old, and I was going through one of those moments, and it's called, Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus. And the chorus says, Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus, How I've Proved Him Over and Over. So that's my challenge to you guys, is to trust him and to allow him to prove himself to you, to be your deliverer, to be your rescuer, to be the one that redeems you. So if you please stand with us, the lyrics will be on. We're going to sing verses 1, 3, and 4. Please sing with us.